Well, thank you very much, Pastor Ron. I appreciate the um, <laughs> vitality of that applause. Hey, thanks to everyone who is part of our uh, streaming congregation this morning as well. Whether you're with us live or perhaps you're watching this recording at a later point, nevertheless, here's one of the wonderful things about our life together in the Holy Spirit. No matter where you are, no matter when you are, together today in this act of worship, in this time of teaching, in these activities of prayer, we are together with each other and together with the Lord. I know that sounds like the kind of thing that pastors say and are supposed to say, and because of that, it's the kind of thing that sometimes congregations hear and are supposed to hear, and we can all let it wash over us without really thinking about the marvel and the glory of that mystery, that we are together in Him, that we are drawn together by Him. It all starts with Him, with God, with Him reaching out to us, and bringing us together in the Spirit. Thank you for being part of that fellowship with us today. Maybe you're a member of PCF and you're regularly streaming or you're streaming when you can and watching recordings when you can. I want to say thank you. Thank you even as Pastor Ron just said, thanks to the Lord for you, for not only your ongoing participation in the worship and in the teaching and in classes like PSOM, but also thank you for your ongoing giving. I want to say thank you to the team that is part of making these services possible. I'm so grateful to our media team, to our worship team, to the facilities team uh, that are here each Sunday to make this service possible and to make the recording of it possible and the extension of it through all of the electronic means and uh, social media platforms that we have, our YouTube channel, our website, and so forth. Thank you, everyone, and God bless you for your ongoing continued service. It's good to be with you today, and that is a miracle of God that no matter where we are, no matter when we are, He's drawing us together, and it's actually part of our focus today. In fact, I, I would dare to say that today's message, which is on a tabernacle in Shiloh, and like Pastor Ron mentioned, later today you'll be able to see the uh, bulletin and the teaching slides from today as well. Uh, they're available for download on our website. This subject, the Tabernacle in Shiloh, is about being brought together by the Lord, being brought together by the word of the Lord, being brought together by the will of the Lord, being brought together in worship of the Lord. I, I want to say about that um, aspect of worship, as I was preparing my teaching for today's PSOM class on fundamentals of faith, I'm going to be reviewing with the people in that class, and as Pastor Ron mentioned, that could still include you. It's still possible. In fact, you can send an email to info at mypcf.org, and if I get it before noon today, that's 12 p.m. Pacific right here on uh, Sunday, August 23rd, then I'll, I'll get information out to you that you can even participate today. But if you're not able to be part of today's class from 1 to 3, you can still join with us next week. Through next Sunday, I'll still be accepting new students into the class, and uh, and we'll be able to catch you up with what we've already discussed. Anyway, to my point, I was preparing the teaching for today, and I'm going to be looking with the class at not only our subject in that particular class, but things going forward. And you say, all right, well, look, this guy just wants to promote a class. That's not what it's about. I want to promote for you and for me a lifestyle of living in the Lord, and that happens to be what the class is about. Fundamentals of faith are about how we walk out our faith in the will of the Lord on a regular basis. And so each of these 
class sessions and the, the larger sequences that they're a part of, because this six-week sequence is just the beginning. That's why it's called Fundamentals of Faith One. There's going to be a two, a three, and a four. They each focus on different essential aspects of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. The reason I use phrases like that, by the way, instead of just simply saying a Christian, although that is what I'm talking about, is the same idea that I've kind of been getting at since I came up here, which is that words can become so familiar to us and we can become so confident that we know the concepts that we may actually miss the meaning within. And so sometimes it's helpful to reframe those words and start talking about what a word means. What does faith mean? What does it mean to talk about the fundamentals of faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian does not have to do with your political party affiliation, although it informs that. It doesn't have to do with your social status, although it informs that. It doesn't have to do with your ethnic background or your nation of origin, because every tribe and tongue is invited to come and bow before the Prince of Peace, the Lord of all, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. But to do what? Not just simply to bow and to acknowledge who he is, because everyone will do that. Every knee will bend and bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Christians and non-Christians alike ultimately will come to that place. That's, that's what the scriptures say, and I believe it. The point is this. Those who come and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and who have already acknowledged that he is their Lord, have already received what only he could offer and which he offers to all, but only some receive, that's what it means to be a Christian. In other words, those who have been following Jesus are the ones who are his followers. Jesus put it this way, my sheep know my voice. They hear me and they know me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so there's a variety of things that are involved in that. And it starts with recognizing an invitation. If you're a guest with us today, or maybe you're a member of the flock, but you've been kind of going astray, I can understand that. I can relate to that. Maybe somebody uh, brought your attention to this service today and you're a guest, as I say, or maybe you stumbled across this watching something else. There's an invitation outstanding for you. Can you really believe that? You can. I'm here on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ to say there's an invitation to you today. And by the way, if you're a member of the family of faith and a follower of Jesus, there's an invitation for you too. And the invitation is essentially the same. Bow before him now. Acknowledge his presence now. Invite his lordship into your life. Yield to his guidance and direction according to his word, according to his spirit as is expressed through his body. And experience the joy of the Lord. That's a fundamental of faith. Responding to the invitation of Jesus Christ. And we respond with repentance because we recognize our failures, our shortcomings, our sins. We respond with gratitude. We praise him because he saved us from our failures, our shortcomings, our sin. We praise him because he found us and saved us. We praise him because he's got a purpose for us. And so every other fundamental of faith that follows, from discipleship to disciple-making and all the sacraments, they are all bound up in this idea, worship. It's all about worship. 
Hey, is there somebody around you that you can turn to right now and say, it's all about worship? Say that to them. Say it out loud. Don't feel embarrassed. It's all about worship. When you say it, you're saying something true. Now, you know what? Everyone in the world follows that law, whether they recognize it or not. As I've mentioned before, the uh, famous uh, songwriter and, in fact, Nobel Prize winning poet, if you want to call him that, Bob Dylan, has a song that says, everybody's got to serve someone. And that's really true. Everyone's worshiping someone or something, even if it's just themselves. It's all about worship. But your worship is all about who or what you worship. It's all about who's at the center. And that also is a fundamental of faith because Christ is at the center of our worship. He's at the center of our lives. Everything we do as followers of Jesus should be about worship. That doesn't mean that we go around singing constantly, although I hope that in your homes, when the worship music is playing, you also are singing. And I know that may feel a little awkward, but hey, I'll bet you do it with the radio. When you're in your car, don't you sing along with the radio to popular tunes and hits that you like? How about singing along with hymns and songs of praise to the Lord? Maybe you say, I do do that. Then good, you probably experience what happens when you do that, which is the presence of the Lord becomes more manifest and you, at your center, become more centered on him. And what a good thing it is to be centered on Christ. When all the rest of the world is spinning out of control, those whose lives are centered on Christ have found a place of peace within and a purpose that goes forward. When you give tithes and offerings to the, to the body of Christ, to the church of the Lord, whether it's this church or another, you are giving worship to God. When you share and witness to someone else, when they ask, why do you have that smile on your face when so many things are going wrong? Why do you have this peace in your soul when so much is uncertain? Why do you have this kindness to others who can't possibly pay you back or don't have any reason to expect kindness from you? And you can tell them the reason for each and every one of those things is Jesus Christ. He's at the center of who you are, and that's worship. When you're facing a moment where you feel uncertain, because we all do, even though we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean we don't face troubles. This series that we're in right now, talking about a Joshua generation, the people of Israel following their leader Joshua, who was, in fact, a, a symbol uh, to them and to us of Jesus Christ. The name Joshua and the name Jesus are the same name in the, in the way that Juan and John are the same name. Different languages saying the same name. And Joshua is for us a model of who Jesus is in our lives and how he leads us so that we too can be a Joshua generation. And as we've seen in this series, as we'll talk about again today, that means that often Jesus leads us, our Joshua leads us into battlefields and into challenges and into opposition and into facing adversaries. And even though we recognize, as the scriptures affirm, as Paul the Apostle wrote to the New Testament church and to us in his letter to the Ephesians, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that enemies for us are not the human people that we encounter, but rather the spiritual powers at work in this world that oppose the Lord and therefore oppose us, we still recognize that for us, that's a fearful thing to face those spiritual enemies. And there are times where we grow discouraged, and there are times when we are confused, and there are times where we feel that we are not enough, 
And you know we're not enough. But the one who is enough and more than enough is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the one that's making that invitation to you today, saying, bow down and worship me. Put your hand into my hand and your life into my life and follow my guidance to you. Read this word every day and meditate on it. Think about what does it mean to me and how do I apply it? Seek my spirit. Hey, let's say a prayer right now. Holy Spirit, will you say it out loud with me? Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Say these words, Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Jesus answers that prayer whenever it is offered up, wherever it is offered up by a sincere heart. What that sincere heart will find is that Jesus was already prepared to answer that prayer because it's a prayer that comes from him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to find him. And sometimes what he realizes about us, and if we're honest, I think we can realize it about ourselves too, is that sometimes we're not going to look for him until the trouble comes. Sometimes we're too busy to seek him until we don't know where to turn. Sometimes problems are a blessing because it's in facing the problems and coming to him that we find the promise of the peace that he is. And that is wholeness in our life and purpose in our soul. Ten years ago, a decade, the Holy Spirit impressed upon the shepherds of this place, Praise Christian Fellowship, a vision, a vision for the decade ahead and for the year 2020, which would itself be a turning point. You realize that we're in a turning point according to the clock, according to the calendar. What we all see in the world around us today is that we are in a turning point in a very real way. It's an election year in this nation as well as some nations elsewhere around the world. It is a year of pandemic and plague globally. It is a year when crisis is affecting us it, it, here in the city of Los Angeles, in the state of California, throughout the United States with fires that are uh, at a level almost unprecedented in our history. It is a time when social unrest has bubbled up and boiled over. It is a time when everything in society seems to be either crumbling or coming up for reevaluation. It is a turning point time. But 10 years ago, the Lord knew that in advance and gave a vision to the pastors of this place and said, 2020 will be a year of multiplication, a year of growth. Five years ago, when the Lord was installing me as a pastor of this place for, according to his purposes, not that I was particularly worthy of it, but it is the call that equips us all. Five years ago, he spoke to me what I have shared with you over those five years, that this year that would be about multiplication, and believe me, that vision was of the Lord and is true. This is a time of multiplication. Five years ago, he showed us that it would be a time of harvest, and that goes hand in hand. 
Harvest is the multiplication of the seed that was sown. What I didn't realize back in 2015 when the Lord first began to speak to me about these five years ahead that are culminating now as we make a turning point into a time that is to come. And the Lord has spoken to me about that as well. And I want to say that even if you're not a regular member of PCF, I believe that these words that are reaching you today by this message, whatever day you are in, whatever place you are in, the Lord has a purpose according to his spirit for you as well that has to do with recognizing that right now you have an opportunity for a turning point. You're going to face things tomorrow and the next day should the Lord tarry, or even if he doesn't, even if he comes back, you and I are going to face things. Even if we go to him, we are going to face things that only he can know and prepare us for. And today is the day that he's saying, I'd like to show you what I have in store for you. I'd like to show you your purpose. One thing I didn't realize when the Lord spoke to me about harvest five years ago that would be coming in this year is the very simple truths about harvest that ought to be obvious. But sometimes, like I said, things are so plain in front of us and words so familiar to us that we miss the meaning. Harvest, to me, meant fruitfulness, and so it does. But that fruitfulness also involves cutting things down, pulling things up by their roots, bringing things in and weighing them, separating them, the wheat from the chaff, the, the grain from the husk. And that's what this year is about as well. Pulling things and maybe even people apart to see what they're made of. And everything multiplying its fruit according to its kind. So that when the seed of unkindness, of wickedness, of deception is sown... It produces multiplied harvest fruit of unkindness and deceit and wickedness. But when the seed of the Spirit is sown and the Word of God is grown in our souls, in our homes, in our relationships, in our community, there is a multiplication of the fruitfulness of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's transformational multiplication in our lives, and there's purposeful missional multiplication in our works. We become people of the Spirit, clothed in the character of Christ, armored in the armor of His, of his character, of who He is, equipped with the sword of the Spirit, which is His Word, a breastplate of righteousness upon our chest, a helmet of salvation that renews our thinking and changes our vision, and all the rest of that, and the gifts of the Spirit which are to enable and equip us to do the things that God has called us to do, to be workers in the harvest and successful prayers for more workers in the harvest, to be disciples and disciple makers, to be those that are sent out with a good word and an empowered prayer and faith, that's the harvest that the Lord intends for you and I. And so it was that when the Lord installed me here, I stood in this place four and a half years ago and said to you, shared with you a word that the Lord gave to me at that time for us, for me, for you, and for as many as will receive it. I'm authorized to say that. It's for you if you want it. It's an invitation to you today. And the word was this, from the living God, I have set myself to do a work in this place. 
He meant those words. He still does, and he's been faithful to them. I can vouch for that. But over time, he made it clear that even in that, there were things deeper in his words than my ears were hearing at first. Because the place that he set himself to do the work in was not this sanctuary particularly, but this sanctuary. Take your hand and put it over your heart and say, this sanctuary. Because you are the place that the Prince of Peace wants to be enthroned in. And not just you, but you and me together, the body of Christ, a tabernacle for the Prince of Peace. He has a tabernacle in heaven not made by human hands, but he came and dwelt in human flesh so that you and I could be taken into him and that he, by his spirit, would come into us. Friends, there's a tabernacle in Shiloh and it's made for you. Lord, as we come to the teaching of your word today, this book of Joshua, these chapters that we will be examining together in 18 and 19, we acknowledge your invitation to hear from you today in a deeper way, to receive from you today not only words but seeds that will grow in the light of your love, that we sow in response to your call, that grow with the washing of the water of the Spirit and the pruning from your faithful hand. Weed out from our lives that which is not of you. The works of wickedness that we have sown or that others have sown around us or even within us, Lord, weed them out so that we would be clean so that we could hear and receive and believe and respond to what you say to us today, that the living water of your spirit would flow from our innermost being and that we would grow in all the fruit of that spirit, your spirit, you, almighty God, and that we would go and sow those seeds around us and that we would also bring in a harvest. Lord, send more workers because your harvest is multiplying. In Jesus' name, amen. The singer Neil Diamond has a song called Shiloh. It's a song about a, an imaginary friend. You know, in childhood, lots of us develop imaginary friends. We name them. Sometimes we give them a place at the table to sit down and eat with us. Secretly, I'll share this with you. I did that when I was a little kid. I don't know. I guess I've always been a little bit weird, right? Or a lot of bit weird. No response needed. This is when it's good that you're there and I'm here. I can't hear what you're saying to me. I can only imagine how goofy you must think I am. Well, I admit it. But I'm not the only one who had an imaginary uh, friend as a child, and it's a fairly common activity of a child's growing and robust imagination. Now, I don't uh, recall the backstory of Neil Diamond's song about Shiloh, whether he wrote it or another, but apparently somewhere along the way, someone had a childhood friend named Shiloh, an imaginary friend, at least they imagined it. And in that song, there's a lyric that says, when no one else would come, Shiloh, you always came. 
and you'd stay. The song is about a child who experiences loneliness, a child who feels abandoned, a child who's looking for companionship or a playmate, and Shiloh is the one who comes, but he doesn't just come, he stays. Well, I think Shiloh is a she in the song, but the Shiloh I want to talk to you about today is also he who comes. The word Shiloh is a Hebrew word that is rooted deeply in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. And I'm going to talk to you about it today because it's also the name of a place, a place that the people of the Joshua generation occupied when they came into the land. We're talking about the book of Joshua in this series, and as you know, that is a book that involves God's call to people, a command that says, enter in by following me, and I will enable you to inherit everything I've promised to you. The Bible refers to that as a covenant, and the Lord says there's a covering for you in that covenant, and I am that covering. If you will hear what I say and do it, if you will believe what I say and, and trust it, and live according to my ways, then I will cover you and I will allow you to conquer. I will enable and equip you to be more than victorious warriors in me so that everything which I have promised will be brought to pass. The first half of Joshua that we looked at in our series last year deals with a great many episodes that, that specifically illustrate these ideas. The, the uh, commander of the armies of heaven appearing to Joshua and giving Joshua guidance into how to enter into the land and conquest for the king. That is the king of all the earth. That is the Lord God of Israel. The second half of Joshua turns to much more kind of mundane material for the most part. It deals with verbal maps, talking about the geography of the land and which of the 12 tribes will get which portions of the land. Now, that can be dry reading for you and I. Sometimes it can be a little tough going to go through it, but it's worth reading. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why is because not only do we learn more about ancient Israel, which is a valuable piece of history for anyone, but we also learn more about how God fulfills his promises in the lives of people, even when those people are imperfect, because hey, I'm imperfect and I'm guessing you are too. And you and I, we can relate to people who struggle to lay hold of what God has promised. But what the Joshua generation shows us is that God is faithful even when we aren't. And God is able even though we aren't. And God will do what he has said he will do. In the midst of the geography of the second half of Joshua, there are episodes and events that also help us to see how God behaves to his people to whom he's made promises. We reviewed together in recent weeks, and it's okay if you're just joining us in this message and you haven't heard those, that's fine, but I just want to give you a little bit of a, a, a kind of contextual grip on what, uh, what sequence of the scripture we're in. We looked at Joshua chapter 15, and the tribe of Judah, who is referred to in the blessing of the father of the 12 sons of Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is, of course, himself, Israel, also known as Jacob. Back in Genesis, when he blessed each one of those sons that would become a family, that would become a clan, that would be part of this federation that we know as ancient Israel, when he blessed Judah, according to the Holy Spirit, it was speaking through him and which records those words in scripture into the books of Moses in the, in the specific book of Genesis. We are told that Judah is like a lion. And so they get a lion's share. 
Now, it is out of Judah, by the way, that ultimately the kingship of Israel will be eternally enthroned. For David, the second king of Israel, great king of Israel, is from the tribe of Judah. And the son of David, a descendant along those lines a thousand years later, is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, also and ultimately the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Judah, which means praise, by the way, and here you see all these things that we've been talking about. Judah, which reveals to us the incarnation of Christ ultimately, and which expresses to us the response to that, which is praise, which is worship, is also the enthronement of God's rule and reign on earth. And they received this very large portion of land in the southern region that ultimately will be, when the kingdom sadly divides because of the sinfulness of people, into an upper and a lower portion, Judah will be that lower portion, that southern part of Israel known as Judah. And it is, in fact, from Judah and the Judahites that the term Jew and Judaism actually are derived. Last week in chapter 16 and 17, we began to see other tribes receiving their allotments. These were the tribes of Joseph, one of the sons also. But Joseph, though he had gone through rejection, talk about being isolated when you're young. Joseph had many brothers, but they rejected him. But when no one else would come, Shiloh came to Joseph. The Lord found Joseph, protected Joseph even though Joseph went through much hardship, sold by his brothers into slavery, sold into Egypt, yet there, because he trusted in the Lord and followed his God, the Lord elevated him. So that ultimately, not only was Joseph a ruler in Egypt and a savior for his brothers, but he also forgave his brothers, saying to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And in that, there was a double portion blessing for Joseph, so that his two sons, Ephraim, and Manasseh became half-tribes in their own right. So Joseph had two allotments, and actually those tribes received additional allotments. Ephraim um, receives uh, additional allotments that we saw uh, last week as well when they gained uh, the hill country um, uh, portion, and Manasseh has both eastern and western allotments given to it. We'll come back to talk more about East Manasseh when we get to Joshua 22 in just a few weeks. But today, I want to talk about this uh, place in central uh, Israel that is going to be the, the focal point in the passages that we're looking at today, Joshua 18 and 19. We are told in Joshua 18, the first verse, the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh, that's the name of the town, Shiloh, and set up the tent of meeting, that is the, the, the tabernacle. The tent of meeting, the term there in Hebrew, the moed, actually refers to not only an appointed place, but an appointed time. Hey, this is pretty spectacular. Long before Einstein, long before the theory of relativity and the recognition of the space-time continuum, the word of God had already enthroned this reality, that space and time are connected and the Lord rules over them all. The tabernacle, the tent of meaning, in its Hebrew phrase name, actually reflects the place and a time appointed by God. And that's where these people gathered. So that it is the tabernacle which had traveled with them according to God's specifications. He told them how to make the tent. He told them how to set it up. The tabernacle that had traveled with them in the wilderness during the Moses generation now finds a resting place home 
in the Joshua generation. Now, you and I know that ultimately Jerusalem is going to be the place where the temple is built. And it's the son of David that builds it, although it's in David's heart to do it. David founds a city, the city of David. There are Canaanites there, but he takes hold of that place even though prior to him uh, it, could not be con it could not be fully overcome. Uh, in fact, when we were looking at the allotment made to Judah, which is the tribe that David comes from, we are told that they were not able to displace the people out of Jerusalem, uh, although it was probably not called Jerusalem at that time. But there are uh, Canaanites there. Ultimately, David is the one who will lay claim to that place and make that the city of Jerusalem and the center of Israel's worship and rulership and then Solomon, David's son, will build a temple there. But of course, it is ultimately the Messiah, son of David, Jesus Christ, who stood at one iteration of that temple and said to those who were listening to him, tear down this temple and three days later, I will raise it up. Because he was referring to himself, to his body. And that's not just his physical resurrection, but he's also prophetically referring to you and I, an invitation that says, even if everything in this world is torn down, even if this fleshly body of yours dies, in me you will live again and you will live forever. In me you will be founded at the place of peace. In me, in Shiloh. That's the message of Jesus. What does Shiloh mean? Shiloh is actually, a, a, as I said, a physical place in Israel. And today, you can, there is a settlement city called Shiloh that's near to where ancient Shiloh was. But if you wanted to find ancient Shiloh, you'd actually go to what's called Tel Shiloh today, which is a way of referring to the buildup of debris and detritus that occurs over time as civilizations make a town and it gets torn down or worn down and then built up again. And all of that actually elevates the land into a kind of a mound that is called in Hebrew a tell. And when you go to Israel, if you've been there, and I always encourage people to visit there if they can, uh, you will find many places referred to as tell such and such uh, because it is the place where there were ancient towns and the remainder, the, the foundations, if you will, that rose up over time of that place can still be found and excavated. And so Tel Shiloh is the ancient place of Shiloh. We are told in the scriptures, in the book of Judges, which we're going to study, God willing, next year, that uh, Shiloh is north of Bethel, and it is about 10 miles, uh, I would say, uh, from Bethel. It's on the east of the Bethel Shechem Highway. So here you can see Bethel, and it goes uh, from the southern edge of what was Ephraim's allotment um, all the way to the north and then over into uh, what is western Manasseh is where Shechem is. But Shiloh was in the hill country of Ephraim, and it was a place that was the center of early worship in ancient Israel. Now, we are told, by the way, that at certain times the Ark of the Covenant that held the commandments from God that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai, the Ark of the Covenant that had the, the, the sheltering covering of the cherubim angels upon it and so forth, was at Shiloh or at Bethel at various times. But um, they're close to each other, and Shiloh is really, throughout the generations that are to come, a place of the tabernacling of God, the place where the, the presence of God is seen as dwelling at the center, at the heart, the center of the people. And all the people gather together there at the tabernacle 
to hear from the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, Shiloh appears earlier in the scriptures, and it appears also in that very blessing of uh, Jacob, the man that God called Israel, of his sons, and particularly of his son Judah. So that when Jacob, on his deathbed, essentially, is blessing his sons with the prophetic promises that God is speaking over them, he uses the term Shiloh in referring to Judah. And he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is a recognition of royal power. The scepter is that rod, that, that staff, like a shepherd's staff, but in the king's hand. You know, even in ancient Egypt, the shepherd's staff was part of the king's scepter. You've probably seen that before, kind of a cross and a little crook staff that the pharaohs sometimes have in the markings that we see or the illustrations. And so it is that it's recognized even in ancient times and even among diverse people that a king was a shepherd to his people. And so here, the word of the Lord through Israel to his son Judah is the king will be from Judah. And it is a kingship that will not depart, an eternal king, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. So here we see that this shepherd king is also a prophet priest. Because the lawgiver in ancient Israel is the one who gives the law of the Lord, that is the priest, who uh, declares and carries out the word of the Lord according to the guidance of God, and the prophet who is a spokesperson for God. So here, in this very early ancient prophecy, we are being told by the Lord, the Messiah King, who will be a priest and prophet of his people, comes from Judah and shall be Eternal, And this remains a promise to be believed until Shiloh comes. And unto him, the people will be gathered. He'll be at the center, and the people will gather around him. The word Shiloh in Hebrew here is controversial. It's been the subject of a lot of scholarly dispute and, dis and debate. And that is in part because it's a very old Hebrew word, and it's difficult for us in this era to know precisely what it meant to the people at that time. And there are, there's an archaic formation uh, in, in the passage that we just looked at in Genesis 49 that provides variety of how it could be translated. So sometimes people will look at Shiloh and translate it there purely according to its place name value. In other words, Shiloh can be understood as meaning peace. It can be understood as meaning a person of peace, a peacemaker or peacekeeper, if you will, or the person of tranquility, but it can also be understood as the place of peace and the place of tranquility. What's fascinating to me about this is that it is in Jesus Christ that both those things become true. He is a person who is a place, and that person and place is peace. As Jesus said, he is the temple. Even if the earthly temple is torn down, he is the everlasting temple. His body is the everlasting temple. And as you and I come into him, into his body, we come into the place of his peace. And the Lord says, I have set myself to do a work in this place. And that's you and me being brought into him. That's him being at the center of who we are. Now, Shiloh can also be um, interpreted or translated as he whose it is or he to whom it belongs, the one to whom it belongs. And it has euphemistically been translated as the one who is to come. So that if you and I go back and look at this, 
what we are being told is that there is an eternal king, prophet and priest, to come out of Judah. And this, prof this promise of him shall remain and abide until he comes or until the place that is meant for him is given to him until all things are put under his feet and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Shiloh, Jesus, is Lord. Now the name of Shiloh is probably given to this place where the tabernacle is or, or the tabernacle is placed in the place that is named for this because it is a name that means a, a, a peaceful town, a fair haven peace place. And so that's the place of God's presence. The, the, the Shabbat Shalom of God. The wholeness and peace blessing of God. Now as I mentioned, all the people are gathered together. I got the same issue with my slides. Every week we, we seem to be having an issue where my slides give out halfway through and we don't know why. There's just an assignment against these slides. Will you pray that somehow we can... Uh, figure out what, what's going on with these, because every week I prepare these, they're fine, there's no issue, and then we get into the booth and somehow something happens, and it's not the fault of the guys, they're doing everything they know to do and they're doing everything right, so somewhere there's some funky tweak in these slides, and I don't pretend to suppose that the slides are absolutely the uh, end-all, be-all of the message, but I, I, I sense at this point, after three weeks of a struggle with this, that somewhere the enemy wants to put up an obstacle, and I'm not disturbed by that. In fact, I'm excited by that, not because I'm uh, eager for a fight, but because I know that the Prince of Peace will overcome. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So if the enemy is trying to halt and hinder these slides, that says to me there must be something meaningful for you and me in them. And there is something that he cannot hinder, which is that the word of God is available to us. But what a blessing it is to have that word embedded in our heart. That's one reason to read it and meditate on it, to, to read it and feed on it, to let the seed of it sow into you so that you can know and grow in the ways that God has for you, no matter what the enemy would try to do. In the parable that Jesus told about the seed and the sower, you'll remember that the bird from the air that came and, and swooped down and picked up the seed off of the side of the road was a symbol of Satan who tries to tear away the message that God has for us. But the good news is, if your life is centered on Christ, the enemy cannot take from you that which God has secured. That's part of the promise of Shiloh. Shiloh, a place to worship in. Will you say that? A place to worship in. They have a place to gather in ancient Israel. The whole congregation comes together there because they need a place to gather, and it's important that they gather together. In this time, you and I can really sense how privileged that is, right? It's hard not to be with you. Even though we have this, this electronic opportunity to convene together, hallelujah for that, but how much more we would rather be face-to-face. -face. And yet we recognize that given the current circumstances, that there is wisdom in the separation that we are observing, but it is also revealing to us how important it is to come together in one place. Not because of the place, but because of the togetherness, because of the unity, and because of who is in that place. Now, let me say this to you. In these days, when we are restricted and we do have hindrances to our being together with one another, remember, there is nothing that keeps you from being face-to-face -face with God. 
And when we are close in him, he will make us close to each other. I'm not saying we shouldn't reach out to each other with phone calls, with texts, with proper kinds of arranged uh, times together, distance or outdoors or whatever. In fact, all the more, let us be doing that. As we put the Lord at the center of our lives, the Lord will help us to find peaceful ways to do that. And yet we won't feel panicked and we won't feel desperate. We'll have peace and we'll have joy. We'll be able to pray for one another with power. There's real power when we pray together in our Wednesday night Zoom meetings. I invite you to be part of that. It's a time to see one another and hear from one another, and there's joy in it. I take joy from it every week. There's real peace to be found in knowing that people are praying and interceding for you. And when you and I draw close to the Lord and listen to what he has to say, what we will hear is call from him in how to enter in to the fullness of the promise. There's a prompt to enter in in Joshua chapter 18. As Joshua calls the tribes together, he also says to them, hey, the Lord has made the promise of this land to you. Now Judah and the tribes of Joseph, these bold tribes, they have boldly entered in. But a bunch of the rest of you, Benjamin, Issachar, Zebulon, Naphtali, what's going on? You're not taking the land. Can you guys take me to the next slide? I want you to look with me at Joshua 18, verses 2 to 6. There were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. I don't want to make too much of this, but it's interesting to me that in the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, when Jesus is talking to his church and writes letters to them, he writes letters to seven churches. Maybe there's something for us in this combination of seven tribes still waiting to enter in. Seven churches living in times of tribulation and trial. And Jesus says, enter into that which I have promised. Whoever is faithful in me, I will be faithful to fulfill my promise to them and they will enter into my rest. In any case, these seven tribes hear from Joshua. He says to them, how long are you going to wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors, has given you? I know my time's growing short, and the message is coming to its concluding portion, but I want to pause, and can I have permission from you to ask a bold question as if from the Lord? Friend, how long are you going to wait to enter in to what God has called you into? What are you waiting for? For the situation to be more favorable? That isn't the call. For it to be easier? Now, why would faith be necessary if it was easy? Do you need God to help you do that which you can do on your own, of yourself? Or is it, in fact, necessary that you and I would face something that we cannot possibly face, something that we cannot possibly do without him so that we could recognize that without him we cannot do anything? Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And now Jesus says to you and I, how long will you wait to bear fruit? How long will you wait to be a part of the harvest? It has a meaning for you. 
It may be that the Lord is saying to you, friend, who's never given your heart or life to the Lord, how long are you going to hold out? Are you going to die before you come to life in me? Are you going to miss your opportunity at eternity? But maybe you're someone who is faithfully following the Lord. And what Jesus is saying to you today is, how long are you going to wait to believe me when I say to you, I will make you able? How long are you going to wait to believe me when I say to you, I have not forsaken you? And you say, but I don't feel like you're here. And I say to you, even if you cannot see me, I am with you. Shiloh, you always came and you stayed. How long are you going to wait to believe this truth that Jesus is with you right now? Knocking on the door of your heart, lifting up the arms of your prayer, fortifying the foundation of your faith. And he says, believe me. Follow me, trust me, obey me. How long are you going to wait to make Bible reading and study a central part of your daily life? How long are you going to wait to be a bold witness for Jesus who talks about your faith with people that you work with, that live around you, members of your family? Not in an obnoxious and abusive way, but in a way that reveals that the Prince of Peace is living in the Shiloh tabernacle of your heart? How long are you going to wait to pray with power for people who need to be healed? And the Lord will give you the gift of healing. It comes from Him. It comes to them. But it comes through you. How long will you wait to believe that? Reach out your hand in faith. Speak out the word that says, Jesus Christ heals you today. Speak out the prayer that says, Jesus delivers you from the bondage of addiction, of perversion, of depression. You have the gifts of the Holy Spirit available to you, friend, brother, sister, if you are following Jesus Christ. How long are you going to wait to give those gifts to the people that he has intended them for? The gifts don't come for you. They come through you. They're for others so that others would be gathered to him. Now, how long shall we wait before we believe that? I say, let's not wait anymore. Let's enter in to the harvest promise of the Lord's purpose in our lives. Today, Joshua said to those tribes, appoint three men and I'll send them out to survey the land. They'll write a description. It's organized. It's strategic. It's not just symbolic. There's actual activity to be done. There's real things to do. Maybe the Lord would speak to you today and say, I want you to get organized. Make a plan for how you're going to read the Bible regularly. Join a class like the PSOM class and let it bring discipline to your life. Read a book uh, from a wise person of faith who can help you to understand more about the things of the Lord. Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone who disciples you? Get and build a relationship with a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, faithful fellow believer who can help you in that. Do you have people whose lives you are speaking into, you are sowing into? Make a plan for how you're going to give. Make a plan for how you're going to spend your time in ways that glorify and honor the Lord and help others. And in that strategy and structure, you will find peace. So then, after making this plan... Joshua also says, this is the way that you will actually take the land and enter the promise. Verse 6, after you've written the descriptions of the seven parts of the land, 
Bring it back here to Shiloh. Come back to the center. Come back to the tabernacle. And in the presence of the Lord our God, these things will be distributed. Next slide, please. So we've been told and shown how there's a place to worship in. And at that place, we hear from the Lord. And the call from the Lord is a prompt to enter in. You notice that this is the same themes that we've been seeing throughout Joshua? Hey, it's the same themes we've been seeing throughout the books of Moses. It is the theme of the word. Come to God and hear from God. And what God says is, enter in by following me and trusting me and believing me. Next slide. And when you enter in, you enter into a promise of rest. Six days the Lord created all things, and on the seventh day he entered into his rest. Now he is inviting you and I to enter into the rest of what he has for us. So in Joshua chapters 18 and 19, they cast lots. There was actually a process by which something like what we would think of as probably like dice, or perhaps the Urim Thurman, these elements of the priestly uh, apparatus were used to help them to discern by the Spirit what God was saying in terms of who would get which land. So there is for us this experience of, we don't know how the dice are gonna land, but God does. And you and I need to recognize that God is speaking through what is happening. It doesn't mean that God is necessarily the one who tosses the dice, that's us, right? And Einstein, to reference him again, once said famously, God does not play dice with the universe. No, he doesn't. That's because he knows where they land. He knows how things come out. God is the one who shows that if you will trust in him, even when you can't see what's around the corner, he will take you around the corner and into the place of rest. It's here that we see that Joshua, that other faithful follower of God, one of the 12 spies, that he and Caleb were the only two in the days of Moses that looked at the land and said, yeah, there's problems and battles to be done here and big giants to face, but God has called us in and God has promised us success and if we will follow him, he'll give us the land. Two out of the 12 believed that, but 10 out of the 12 didn't. And that's why the generation of Moses died in the wilderness because they didn't have faith. But Joshua and Caleb had faith. We already saw how Caleb received a special blessing. Now then also Joshua receives a special blessing. When they had gone all through the land and the tribal allotments had been made, then take me back to that last slide, uh, 19 verses 49 to 51. Then they gave Joshua, according to the guidance of the Lord, a special town, a special inheritance, Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built the town up and made it a settled place. And these are all the territories that were, set, that were sectioned out and allotted and the special inheritance to Joshua, son of Nun, that were given by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the temple, tabernacle, I should say. Temple wasn't built yet. At the tabernacle, the tent of meaning, the special place and time appointed to God. Next slide. A place to worship in is not just the Shiloh of history that Israel experienced, but take me to the next slide. A place for you and I to turn to God, a time to turn to God. And you've arrived with me at that place, at that time, that tent of Moed, the meeting place and time of God right now where God is saying, turn to me. Turn to me if you've never turned to me before. 
Return to me if you've turned away from me. Turn everything over to me if you're following me. In other words, no matter where you're at, friend, whether you know the Lord or not, his invitation to you today is turn everything over to me and put me at the center. That is real worship. That is real living. Next slide. When we do that, when we turn to God, we'll hear from God. I see so many people who experience so little of God's guidance and direction in their life, and they think it's the fault of God, but the reality is it's because they are not turned to God. They've turned their ear to other things. Maybe they're turned in, turned into what turns them on. Maybe they're turned in and tuned in to whatever the world is all about. Maybe they're focused on whatever they're fixated on and they think they know the Lord and they may put the name of the Lord on their lips, but he's not at the center of their lives. But when he's at the center of our life, we can hear from him. I'll admit, I acknowledge there are times where God is quiet, but even in his quietness, there is a still small voice. If we will turn to God, then we will hear from God. And God will give us guidance. His counsel will give us peace. His wisdom will give us victory. And so finally, next slide. Having turned to God, having heard from God, next slide please. We need to trust in God. Don't expect everything to become visible. Even when the land was staked out, the people still had to enter in. Even when Joshua received his promised place, what does it say he did? He went and settled it. It was work, man. He had to work at 85 years old to settle a town. And it wasn't just about him and his household. It was about making a place of peace for all people. It's not easy what God has called us to do. In fact, it's impossible. But it is possible for those who believe because all things are possible with God. And with God, nothing shall be impossible. When an angel of the Lord came to a woman and said, God has set himself to do a work in this place, he wasn't just pointing to where she lived. He was pointing to what would live in her. He was pointing to her womb and saying, God has set himself to do a work in this place. And she said, I'm a virgin. How is that possible? And the angel said, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Shiloh came. Shiloh came through that womb, the womb of Mary, into this world, the world of men and women, our world, my world, your world. And today, Jesus, Shiloh, says, I want to come into you and make my dwelling place in you. Turn to me and you'll find me. Hear from me and I'll guide you. Trust in me and I will show myself trustworthy to you. I will fulfill my promises to you. I will fully fill you with my love, says the Lord. Next slide. This is a promise from the beginning. And it's right there in Genesis that we are told this promise holds true until all come to him. One way or another, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus, who already came once, lived, 
died for you and for me and rose again, ascended to the Father, made this promise. I am coming back. And when I do, I will draw my own to myself and my reward for them will be with me. Next slide. Shiloh. You are Shiloh. You are the place that belongs to the prince. You are the person who was bought at a price, bought by the blood of the Savior King. Next slide. You're the one that belongs to him. You and I belong to God. Continue with me, please. He's the one who was promised to come, and his coming shows us that we can count on him to fulfill his promises in days to come. He has come already to us so that we can be with him. Next slide. And in him, all purpose and all peace is fulfilled. The place of peace, the tabernacle in Shiloh, is found when we center our lives on Christ and Christ comes into the center of our lives with the fullness of his. I want to invite you to respond to Jesus today however you would, however he would put it upon you. There's a place for you to simply say, I acknowledge this truth and I want to give myself to you. Whether it's a recommitment and renewal or a first commitment and a rebirth, in any case, let's give ourselves to the Prince of Peace today. Will you join me in prayer? Father Almighty God, we recognize that you have known the end from the beginning. And even before we were born, you knew who we were and who we would be for you formed us in our mother's wombs, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made according to you. All we like sheep have gone astray, Lord. We have all sinned. And some of us may be thinking right now of how terrible our sin is and the shame and guilt and weight of it is upon us. It is truly terrible, but you have taken that weight off of us. You have said, come to me, come to me, whoever is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to you today, Lord. Forgive us of our sins and trespasses. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Center us on your word, your will, and your ways. Unite us in your body. Equip us for your call. Grant us your peace. I want to respond to your prayer on behalf of the Lord. I believe this is a prophetic promise of the Lord to you. Just receive it if you would. Hear it, test it. Put it against the scriptures and see, does it align with the word of God? I believe the response of the Lord to all you who have prayed this faithfully today is this. I hear you. I see you. I receive you. I am with you. Your sins are many but they are forgiven. They are washed away by my blood. My righteousness is perfect, says the Lord, and I grant it to you today. I grant you righteousness. I grant you faith. I give you strength. I strengthen your bones and I strengthen your arms. Weak legs hanging down, I give them strength and stand them up. I stand you up upon me, a solid rock. I lift you up to me, a living Lord. Resurrection life, 
I grant to you today. And the flow of life through my spirit that grows the life by my spirit, that sows the seed of my word and shows the fruit of my will. All this and more I give to you who call upon me today because I am the living one. I am Shiloh, he to whom it belongs, and I am he who comes. I am coming and my reward is with me. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. Center yourself on me. Call out for me and I will strengthen you and I will carry you through until the everlasting day. If you receive that, Lord, just get that word from the Lord. Give him praise. Make an applause to the Lord where you are. Say, I receive it. I believe it. I'm trusting it and I'm following you, Lord. And as you do that, you will experience fullness of peace and purpose of life.